The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. That's right, bear down, Bears fans. It's time for another edition of Chicago Bears Podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you. And yes, that was 10 seconds. I held that note for 10 seconds at the start of the podcast. Why? Because Chicago Bears football is back. Regular season, actual, tangible football. None of this preseason crap. I know we're all excited about the Cleveland Browns' first half and what Justin Fields was able to do, but it's preseason. We need real, actual football. And that's what we've got coming up on Sunday against the San Francisco 49ers, Trey Lance, Kyle Shanahan and the whole shebang there. We're going to get into a whole season preview here with Aaron Lemming from Windy City Gridiron at Aaron Lemming NFL on Twitter. Plenty to do with him. We'll kind of go through the whole team here. We'll go through polls. We'll go through the coaching staff. We'll do it all with Aaron here. We'll get to him here in just a few minutes. But before we do that, look, I am excited because hope springs eternal, right? We've got We've got a new staff here. We've got a new regime. And I know I have questioned to a lot of your chagrin and you have pissed. I I have pissed a lot of you off and you are sick and tired of what I've had to say about how this offseason was approached, especially early on. If you notice, I haven't had the same issues here with what they've been trying to do in the later half of the the offseason. Really on board with that. I like the fact that Poles is is searching the waiver wire because he knows this roster isn't very good. He knows he needs to find as much talent as he can. If he gets slight upgrades at certain positions, that's going to help the overall roster. There's a reason why a guy like Ryan Poles is scouring the waiver wire and making five, six moves here after cutdowns because that's how much this roster needs to be improved. Ryan Pace, and I was a Pace supporter for a long time. I was a Matt Nagy supporter for a long time. You guys know that if you've listened to this podcast. But the bottom line here with Ryan Pace is he didn't know when to cut bail and and start over. He didn't know when to sit down George McCaskey and say, look, we came close here. We couldn't keep it together. We need to start over. And maybe he would have lost his job with it. But he lost his job because he didn't admit that to Ryan, uh, to, to George McCaskey. That became Ryan Pace's fatal flaw, is clinging to a plan that 
you know, he flew close to the sun, but he, he flew too close. And we, we loved the 2018 season. 2019 wasn't what we, we, any of us had hoped for. 2020, they try and recover. And how they tried to keep it all together in 2021, that's where you have to have serious questions about that previous regime. And so what happens is he kicked so much down the road. We, we've been through this. We know the mess that Ryan Poles inherited. So this is a rebuilding, reset the clock kind of a season for Ryan Poles. And that's what he needs to do. What he needs to do out after this season, he needs to have a good seven or eight guys on this roster that he's brought in, that he's drafted, or, or you know, Alex Leatherwood, guys like that, that he's traded for or picked up a waiver claim for, that he's going to sit there and say, these are guys that we can start building on. Doesn't need 20 guys. He needs seven or eight guys. That's all he needs out of this. And then obviously one of those guys needs to be Justin Fields. He has all that come together. You're going to start seeing other things come together because then he's going to have a full draft. He's going to have a lot of money to spend next offseason. Then instead of seven or eight guys, because he's in a better position, maybe you get 10, 11 guys. Next thing you know, now you got 18, 19 guys. You, don't, you have a few holes. Not too bad. And by year three here, you can really start putting together a competitive roster and one that can hopefully, if you have found the quarterback, hopefully can open up a Super Bowl window. That is what this season needs to be. It's a building block season. You know, I've seen some wild predictions here that the Bears are going to win 10, 11 games. And I sit here and go, I, I can't genuinely understand how you can look at the Bears roster and look at other rosters on teams that are predicted to win 10-11 games and expect that. And that's not that I'm crapping on this Chicago Bears team. Looking at it realistically, you have to look at what is Ryan Poles trying to accomplish here. And you don't trade Khalil Mack. You don't let Akeem Hicks walk. You don't, you know, Eddie Goldman, Bilal Nichols, James Daniels, Allen Robinson. You don't just let all these guys walk and replace them with low-level free agents or draft picks or UDFAs and say, this is a team that's trying to win this year. They're not. They're rebuilding. If you want to call it reloading, fine, call it reloading. But this is not the year the Chicago Bears are trying to you know, win 11, 12 games and make the playoffs. Let's look at this objectively. And the fact is, like I said, let's find, let's see if Justin Fields is the guy and let's find some building blocks. Brisker, Gordon, you know, maybe Kamek develops into that guy. Mooney, you know, Roquan Smith. Some of the guys are already in place, hopefully. Let's find the building blocks that are going to be a part of this team moving forward for this new regime. Remember, Ryan Pace kept five guys. Basically, what I'm saying kept, after you get through three years where you've basically exhausted all the rookie contracts from the previous regime, Ryan Pace kept five. That's it. Five guys. And two of them were special teams, special teamers with Sherrick McManus and Patrick O'Donnell. That's it. Kyle Fuller, Charles Leno, and Kyle Long. That was it. Everything else, he started from scratch to build to that 2018 season. Now, everything he did after the 2018 season certainly didn't work out. But his plan was building to the 2018 season, and he put all his eggs in the Trubisky basket and kept putting them back in the Trubisky basket and we, we know what happened there. We don't need to rehash that. But now you're looking at this organization and this regime doing the same exact thing. Who can they keep from this previous regime? 
who is going to be a building block and who is Ryan Poles going to bring in here as he resets this team and try and builds a Super Bowl winner in 2023, but more likely 2024, 2025. That's what he's trying to do. Now, what are they going to accomplish this year? It, it's kind of unfortunate because the schedule is softer this year. I think it, it really is. You just kind of look at who's on the on the schedule this year. I know it's on paper and, and we don't know until the season actually starts. But this is a year where in theory it would be great if this was the year they were trying to start winning games. It's not happening though. This is the rebuild. This is where we're kind of stuck with. So, you know, before we get to Aaron, Aaron Lemming here, a couple more things to discuss. One of them, Ted Phillips. We, we saw the big announcement earlier, end of last week, retiring at the end of this year. Certainly no one's going to sit here and say that Ted Phillips' regime was a positive one. He was not positive as president. And I have been screaming this for years and years and years since I've started tweeting about the Bears. You know, I mean, even before that, I mean, we're talking about seven, eight, ten years. This is not something new I've talked about. The Chicago Bears need to bring in a president that understands football. The biggest issue that this franchise has had is the issues at the top. And what I mean by that is you have a president and a, a, a chairman in George McCaskey who both have admitted that they do not follow football, that they do not understand football at the level that a franchise like the Chicago Bears should be able to do. They, they don't have that in their, in their brain capacity. So when it's their job to evaluate the general manager, they cannot do it efficiently. They cannot do it well. I mean, you, you sat there in those January press conferences with Phillips and McCaskey, and they're saying that they're in charge of Ryan Pace and his job evaluation. And then when you ask them football questions, they say, well, that's, that's Ryan Pace's decision. That makes no sense. So now they have an opportunity to actually bring in a president who understands the football operation side of thing and the business operation side of thing. Now, the guy I had dubbed for years was Gary Fensick. Brilliant business guy, obviously from the Bears organization and obviously understands the game of football. But the guy I want now, and this isn't going to be easy because he has really built something at Athletes First, and that is Trace Armstrong. Again, ties to the organization. Again, understands football operations. But again, understands the business side of things because that's what he does now. Now, the thing with Trace Armstrong is Trace Armstrong already has his fingerprints all over this organization. He had his fingerprints on the Matt Nagy hire. He had his fingerprints on this whole regime being brought in here. He's got his fingerprints all over the place. But give him the reins to this franchise. You are going to have to pay him an ungodly amount of money. He is not going to do that. You are going to probably have to make him the highest paid team president in the NFL. But that's the type of stability you need at the top of this organization. I don't know if the Bears are going to be able to pull it off, but they 100% need to make a legitimate effort to bring this guy in. They have to. They can't just sit there. Do not promote Cliff Stein. Cliff Stein has already pissed off a lot of agents back, being back in the saddle negotiating contracts. There is zero reason to bring in Cliff Stein as the next president of this team. They need to look bigger. And Trace Armstrong is the guy. 
Again, I don't know if they can pull it off, but make a damn effort to get Trace Armstrong in here as the next team president. I've, uh, I've gone on long enough here, wanted to talk a little bit about the president and really talk about you know, my thoughts about this, this team this year. But I didn't want to get into specifics because we're going to get into specifics next. And we're going to do it with Aaron Lemming from Windy City Gridiron. He joins us next. Bears banter, Bill Zimmerman. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back into the podcast. Very excited for our next guest because this has become a tradition. This week, every year, basically since the inception of this podcast going back several years, Aaron Lemming joins us to preview the Chicago Bears season, not just the Niners game. We're going to go full season preview and tell, tell you Bears fans what to expect. Twitter, he is at Aaron Lemming NFL. I'm guessing you already follow him now already, but he joins us now. Aaron, Bill Zimmerman, how are you? I'm doing well, man. I, I, I truly do enjoy doing this every year. This is like part of the, the festivities of week one, and it's just, it's just becoming a, a nice tradition that I definitely look forward to. Yeah, I, I look forward to it too. It's always a good conversation, and, and and you know I love having you on because you're you're one of these guys that's I think truly objective about the team. You know, you don't mind you know, like there can be positives and negatives at the same time. A lot of people don't seem to want to believe that, but uh, but let's just kind of start with your thoughts, just kind of general thoughts. Let's do Ryan Poles first, then we'll get into the coaching staff. What did what do you think of kind of Ryan Poles overall kind of his approach this offseason? And I look, we know the, how much he's trying to flip this roster from what was Ryan Pace's roster into his own. We've seen a huge amount of turnover already. But what do you think about what he's been able, able to accomplish in one offseason? It's been uh, it's been rocky, right? I mean, we and we, we've kind of talked about it off of the side. I've made my feelings relatively clear that I, I I think that he got put into an interesting position where he decided right out of the gate, hey, we're, we're going to rebuild this thing. He didn't say the words rebuild, but let's be honest, this is exactly what it is, right? So it's been one of those situations where when you don't have a lot of money, you have a ton of dead cap space, you got to rework essentially the entire roster and you have so many needs, it's impossible to accomplish all that in, in one year. But uh, there have been some things that I think have been self-inflicted, uh, but I do think that he's done a good job of kind of recovering at least to a certain point of saying, okay, obviously this team has clear needs. Obviously this team is going to have very clear needs moving out of the off season. But I also think that he at least went through and said, okay, we're going to double check some of these, you know, offensive tackle, let's go out and get Riley Reef. Uh, you know, on the waiver wire, they didn't, they didn't stay silent. I mean, they went out and they made what five claims the first day and another one. So it makes it six overall. I think that it's been rocky at times. Um, I, I do think that it's going to take a little bit to kind of see the overall uh, viewpoint of what he's trying to do and see if it's going to work. Uh, but he's also been put in quite a tough position. So it, I, I would say a very uneven one, um, but one that at least you know, he turned over 65% of the roster. And I think, I mean, we talked about it a lot uh, last year. I think we even talked about it on the preview. Uh, last year was not a fun year. Uh, the Bears had a very uninteresting roster. Uh, I think one of the only interesting things last year was the fact that they had Justin Fields. So now they have Justin Fields. They have some younger guys around him. Who knows if those guys are good, but we're going to find out. Yeah, and and look, the, the mess that last year and into this offseason was – if it results in Justin Fields being a franchise quarterback for the Bears and he quarterbacks this team for 15 years, it's going to be worth it and we'll look back on it and laugh. But you're 100% right about the kind of 
bumpiness it was because we all looked at that roster and knew that in January of 2021, George McCaskey needed to make the hard move and make the changes then because all, all Ryan and, and Matt were trying to do there was cling to a playoff team that was no longer a playoff team and tried to squeeze wins out that just weren't going to be there. And it was just a sad thing to watch. And all he was doing was putting, now we know Ryan Poles, we didn't at the time, in the situation to just make difficult choices and needing to trade Khalil Mack to clear up future space and make some of the tougher decisions along this roster because it just wasn't there. Now, look, and, and I have also made my opinions clear about kind of allocating these resources, the limited ones they had and how they should have done it. But putting that aside, because, you know, I, I'm not going to sit there and nitpick about things that were done in March and April here as we're just a few days away from kickoff. But when I, I look at this team, and again, to be fair to polls, like you said, there was only so much that he could do. And the one thing that I liked him doing is the amount of, waiver claims and the, the you know Sco, you know Schofield and, and Reef and I get that not everything's going to work out and all these guys are going to play but it's a recognition that the roster while yes this is an absolute rebuild but at the same time this is you know him recognizing there are holes there are things that we need to do because no one is going to sit there and try and go one in 16. They're going to try and win games they're going to try and be competitive this is the NFL that's how this works and understanding I, I like that Poles had an understanding of what he needed to do with this roster because at times with Ryan Pace, sometimes I thought he was so pigheaded that he couldn't see it. Yeah, no, and I, I agree. And I think he does, he does deserve a certain amount of credit for simply stepping in and ripping the bandaid off this thing. Like you pointed out, it's not easy to trade Coyle Mac. It's not easy to make some of the decisions that he's made, but he full on committed to it. And I think, you know, one of the things that you pointed out is, not every move is going to work out. Obviously, you talk about the waiver claims. You talk about Riley Reeves, Michael Schofield. Obviously, they didn't work out. Let's be honest. The majority of these moves are not going to work out. But the fact is you have to take swings. This is the time that you take swings because anything that you land out of this is essentially a, a, free, uh, you know, a, a free win that you wouldn't get if you didn't make the moves. It's not costing a lot of money. Same thing with Alex Leatherwood, Amir uh, Smith-Marset, guys like that where – it's all it's all a win. If, if if they don't work out, it is what it is. You don't lose a lot of money from it. You don't really lose anything from it, really. Uh, but if they do end up working out, then those are pieces down the road that you don't have to worry about. And I think that that's kind of the same approach that they've taken with the offensive line and not so much in terms of the overall additions, but in terms of, hey, we're going to throw out our quote unquote best five, which happens to be pretty much the youngest combination possible. And we're going to hope that some of these guys work out. And I think that overall, especially with the mess that Ryan Pace left uh, the Bears in, with the with the mess that that Matt Nagy and this coaching staff, especially this offensive coaching staff, left this roster in. I mean, we we don't know we don't know about half these young guys because they didn't play him last year, even when they were well out of it. So again, and I think that's kind of the thing to kind of keep in context with all this is that yes, I have been critical of Ryan Poles. Yes, and, and I understand that some of the moves are not moves that I like. There, there's there's some moves that I felt like he should have made. But there's also a lot of context that goes back to the last two or three years where the Bears have kicked the can down the road when it clearly wasn't working. And that's stuff that he can't control. Yeah, now let's let's get over, you know, you made a lot of good points there, and I'll, I'll use those here as we move forward. But let, let's talk about the coaching staff a little bit. And, and let's talk about this, this first training camp and kind of what, 
you've seen so far. So, you know, obviously let's focus mostly mostly on uh, on Flus. Let's focus on Getsy, those, those two, because I think that's where most Bears fans want to hear about. How do you feel? Let's start with, with the head coach, of course. How do you feel the first training camp was? Because, you know, look, I know a lot of fans like that, you know, you know, accountability and hard nose, you're going to run laps and, and, and that kind of attitude that that has been instilled into this uh, into this organization. But sometimes we've seen in other organizations that that if you don't implement it right, that it'll backfire, that the players, you know, these these aren't high school kids. These aren't college kids. These are, you know, 25, 30, 33 year old adults who sometimes are going to sit there and look at you and go, well, you're not talking to a 17 year old. But, you know, we haven't seen that from the, the Bears players right now, like with, with with Matt Patricia, for example, like the Lions players like instantly seem to be pissed. Like, you know, Joe Judge, the Giants instantly seem to be pissed. I know those are two Belichick guys, but those are just two examples. It hasn't seemed to happen this year. Jalen Johnson said some positive things. You know, it's a, you know, Matt Nagy did kind of have that, your hold yourself accountable, you know, kind of in a country club players coach, whatever you want to say, kind of practices and, and, and his regime. So what do you think about how the, uh, the this coaching staff and how they've they've practiced uh, so far in July and August? Yeah, well, I think obviously, you know, we can we, we can only say so much because we're not in the locker room. Uh, but I, I, I do think at, le- at least how I feel is I, I feel like there has been a good amount of buy-in, right? I mean, and, and I think the advantage that you have in this type of situation is a lot of this roster, 65% of this roster has been brought in this year by this regime. And I think that that helps, especially when these guys are young, because, you know, especially with the free agents, they know what they're getting themselves into. They're signing on to be a part of this, this hits philosophy, right? You know, and that, that's something that maybe some of these other players weren't able to embrace some of the guys that they let go, whatever it may be. But I think that that is going to be key moving forward is you get a lot of these young guys, you get a lot of guys that either haven't had any success or haven't had the chance to have success. And, if they go out and they play well under this mentality, uh, especially defensively, I think that that's going to make a huge difference. And I think it's also worth mentioning. I, and, and again, trust me, I mean, <laughs> when I listened to Matty Rufus's press conference, my first thought was like, oh, I don't know, man. Like some of the stuff that he's saying right now is super cliche. I don't know that this is really going to work out. But then you have to go back and you look and you say, okay, this is a guy that came in in 2018 with Matt Nagy, right? And it was the same year that Matt Nagy became a head coach. He became the defensive coordinator uh, for what was at the, you know, at that point, Josh McDaniels and obviously ended up being um, Frank Reich. He came in, he took a defense that was absolutely terrible and turned him around first year. They got better every single year. Uh, he, he created players. I mean, just simply, simply put, I mean, Kenny Moore was a waiver wire claim. Uh, Shaquille Leonard was a guy that was a second round pick. So it's like he went in and he created these players. He, he came in, he built his defense. He got everybody to buy in. Anybody that you hear talk about him has nothing but good things to say about him. And I think that we saw it, at least in my opinion, transition out on the field in the preseason. Again, it's just preseason. The way that they were hustling around, uh, the way that the defense is swarming, uh, they were playing much smarter, much more disciplined football. I think that even if the Bears, let's just say, win five or six games this year and own our, aren't overly good, I think that there are things that you can look at and point to to say, okay, this is going to work down the road. And it's also going to make things a lot more enjoyable to watch this year versus last year when I don't know about you, but about, I don't know, week nine, week 10, I was just dreading every single week watching this team because it got worse and it just wasn't fun to watch. 
Yeah, it was, it was that, that, that second half was tough. You knew the team was going nowhere and they, they were winning just enough to flirt with it for a while. And you were just waiting for the bottom to fall out. And obviously that that's exactly what happened, but let's talk about the offensive side of the ball. Let's talk about Luke Getze and, and, and what we've been able to extract here from, from a few preseason games. You know, I, I think a lot of us have a lot of hope in Luke Getze, and, and I don't want to pour cold water on it, but I think a lot of us had a lot of hope for Matt Nagy and what he was going to bring in when, when he got here. I, I fully bought in in the Andy Reid system and, and what he was going to be able to do. And obviously, it, it, you know, we saw glimpses in 2018, but it never came together and just got you know worse and worse every year. I'm not saying Luke Getzey's going to be another Matt Nagy. This is a guy, though, that hasn't actually called plays, kind of similar to Nagy, didn't have a lot of experience there. But I will say, from what I've seen here, obviously limited reps, you know, there seems to be a better flow. It seems it, it, it doesn't seem to be as clunky. You know, there's there's there there is something to you know, a, a style and an approach to calling plays that you can have a good offensive mind and not necessarily be a good play caller. I think Getsy's going to be able to be both. I like what I've seen. I like the approach that he's had so far. What do you think of this offensive scheme and, and, and anything you've been able to extract from, from those couple preseason games? Well, I think, you know, it, it, it seems like one of those situations where can it really get much worse than what we saw the last years? And, you know, Normally, you'd say probably not. This is the Bears we're talking about, so God only knows at this point, right? You have to hope it doesn't. I don't think it will. I, I think I think things have looked very competent so far, and I think it's also really hard to judge, especially when you're talking about the preseason. They're so vanilla, man. It, it's just it's one of those situations where they're not going to try to expose anything, right? You know, it just is what it is. But I think that we saw certain layers, um, certain things that are going on. I think the biggest thing that we all have to keep in mind is just patience. Like the, the offensive line is a work in progress. The receiving core is a work in progress. Justin Fields is in his second year. And honestly, it might as well be his first year. Like there's a lot of different things going on right now to where it's just going to take some time to get going. Now, here's what I will say in terms of, in, in terms of just Luke Getzey as a whole, this is going to go one of two ways. Either Luke Getzey is going to be here for multiple years or he's going to be gone in a year or two. If he's gone in a year or two, that's probably a best case scenario for the Bears just because you know that Justin Fields is going to be the guy and you know that this offense works. And, you know, I know that that can be kind of hard to hear and it's kind of, you know, Adam Gase flashbacks and so on and so forth. But if Lou Getze is here for multiple years, that tells you one thing. That tells you that the offense just really isn't doing that much because we've seen it over the last few years where guys like Nathaniel Hackett, you know, a guy that didn't even didn't even call plays. The same thing with Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy was the offensive coordinator for what two years before he got the job. Didn't really call plays. So it's like if you if your offense is is worth its weight in gold, then you're going to become a head coach as an offensive coordinator. I mean, that's just a sexy hire. So I think that that's kind of something to keep in mind. Where losing Getzey would not be fun, but I also think that that's kind of why they built in. Uh, Andrew Janoko is their offensive, uh, or sorry, their as a quarterback coach because he has been a receiver coach, he has been a tight end coach, and now you know, and he's been a receiver or a, a, a quarterback coach as well. And I think that he's kind of the guy that can slot in with a similar offense and do similar things, assuming that that's the way that they're going to go. I think that this is going to be a very interesting year because I, I think that we can all agree the worst thing that could possibly happen in this year to the Bears is for them to come out of this year not knowing Justin Fields is a guy. Because if they don't know Justin Fields is a guy, there's a pretty good chance the Bears are probably going to win three, four, maybe five games. They're going to have a top five, top seven pick. That's a time when you probably want to strike on a quarterback. And if you don't know if that's your guy or not, 
that's going to be a huge issue because then you're prolonging a rebuild that might take even more time to rebuild because of it. But I do think overall, I feel confident. Um, I, I do like some of what I've seen. I think obviously we've only seen a very small amount, but again, kind of like you pointed out, it, it's, it's hard to be overly excited. I think really the best word would be the best way to describe this would be cautiously optimistic for the time being, because frankly, we've been down this road multiple times before and we've been hurt too many times. So it's, it's one of those things where I don't, I don't know that we want to get our hopes up too much, but I, I, I do feel like this is a very well put together coaching staff overall. And I'm, I'm feeling pretty good moving into the season. Now we'll, we'll see how we feel in, in January, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you, you brought up, uh, you know, Justin Fields and if he's going to be the guy and that's what they need to know. And that was a big point I had. And that's why you, I, I felt they needed to build up more of the offense. But I do think that they're probably taking this approach that if they don't know at the end of this year, if Justin Fields is the guy that they actually do know that Justin Fields is not the guy. I have a feeling that that's kind of what they are. Like Justin Fields is going to be in the position to win this job and, and be the quarterback moving forward. But if he leaves doubt, because it, again, if he leaves doubt, I'm with you. This is going to be like a four and 13 team. Be, and, and unless he gets hurt, if he gets hurt, obviously that, that throws everything off, but it, you know, they're going to be like a four and 13 team. And they're going to have a pick. And when, if you're going to be sitting there with a third, fourth pick in the draft or potentially better, and you've got guys like Young and Stroud and whatever, whoever else, you know, potentially, you know, comes forward here by the end of the football season, you have to make a move at a, at a quarterback. And that, that becomes kind of Arizona with Kyler Murray and Josh Rosen, you know, these type of things you don't see very often. Now, because it's the Chicago Bears, if they move on from Justin Fields, you could absolutely see him becoming Drew Brees for another franchise because we're the Chicago Bears. But I, I think that's where we are. So let, let's talk about Fields because obviously this whole season, we, we, we know overall, you know, get some youth in here and, you know, clear up space for 2023. We know kind of the overall, but this season comes down to Justin Fields and what his growth is and, and what they see out of him, both fans and, and coaching staff, more importantly. So, you know, you look at Fields and look, we're all excited about what happened in preseason game three. He looked like he was the best quarterback in the NFL, but you know, it is preseason, you know, everyone's kind of running out generic offenses, generic defenses, Miles Garrett, Clowney, Ward. I mean, plenty of starters were not playing for Cleveland. So you got to take it with a grain of salt, but at the same time, I still think that kind of confidence booster and seeing the offense move like that wasn't just a good thing for, for fans and, 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 you know, people covering the team, but for the locker room and that offense itself to build some confidence going in me like, because look, you know, they moved the ball a little bit and showed some flashes in games one and two, but you know, they were not scoring touchdowns. So the fact that they were moving the ball down the field, they were getting the ball in the end zone. You got to like at a minimum that that was a great confidence booster for fields in the offense. Yeah, no, I agree. I, and again, I, I don't say this emotionally. I don't say it um, in hindsight. I truly mean it when I say it. I think that that those two quarters, again, with all the context included, was the most complete that Justin Fields has looked in the NFL. And again, I get it. It was a half of football in a preseason game without Miles Garrett, without Jadavion Clowney, without some of their defensive starters. But from a mechanical standpoint, from a mental standpoint, from a processing standpoint, from everything that he was able to do, because even if you go back and you look at that Pittsburgh Steelers game, you know, that everybody likes to point out that I love that 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 last 
what, quarter and a half was great. But what about the other two and a half quarters where he didn't look good at all and the Bears offense barely moved the ball? You know, everybody wants to point out that San Francisco game. He still had some bad moments in that game too versus this last game where, frankly, I mean, he had one throwaway in the beginning of the game. He had another one where he missed a little high when he was getting, you know, pressured or whatever else. He stuck in the pocket. He rolled out when he needed to. He made throws from the pocket. He was processing well. He was going through his reads. I think one of the only knocks that I really had on him in that game was I think he could have recognized Cole Komet a little earlier on that touchdown pass. No harm, no foul. But I think overall we saw, and this is something that from time to time, especially with how things have gone with fields, uh, I think we needed to see that he was capable of doing all this, right? Because after a while, the stuff that the national media is saying creeps into your head you know the 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 evaluation that you had of him at ohio state at some point in time doubt creeps into your head because we've seen it before i mean i spent the entire 2018 offseason and 2019 offseason defending mitchell trubisky to the death because i believe that he was going to be the quarterback that was going to be you know basically a franchise quarterback and that didn't end up being the case again i don't believe that that's going to be the same thing with justin fields but it's natural to have some of those doubts, especially with how things went last season. But I think that overall, I, I think we've seen some good stuff. And, and like you pointed out, it doesn't mean that this is just going to be a direct carryover. He's going to go out and throw for 350 yards. He's going to blow Trey Lance out of the, the water in week one, and things are going to be grand. And he's going to have the, you know, Deshaun Watson year two or the, you know, the, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know, Joe Burrow, um, any of those guys. It doesn't mean that he's going to go out and have that type of year. But I think that at the very worst, it allows them to build some sort of confidence moving into the season to say, hey, this offense can work. We know, Justin, that you can do what, you know, what we've been telling you that you can do. You saw what you can do. You saw that, you know, that, that, that you have enough weapons that the offensive line can hold up. Those are things that it can at least be confirmations. And I think at least for the time being, especially when you look at the two defenses that they face right out of the gate with San Francisco and Green Bay, those are going to be two really tough games. Those are two games with really good front sets. That's just really what it is. So I think that this will allow us in a, in a very worst case to at least hold on to some hope. Um, but I do think that this is going to be some sort of building block. And, and, and I think Darnell Mooney and both Justin Fields both said that after the game, like this is the start of something. And I think that in order for the bears to do anything, uh, whether it's this year or in the following years, they have to have some sort of launching point. We've been talking about that with rebuild. They have to have some sort of foundation. If that is the beginning of the foundation, I think that that is something that we can all live with because, you know, it should be incremental steps up, um, hopefully on a weekly basis. And maybe we'll have an astronomical step. Who knows? All right, I'm going to put you on the spot. We're going to fast forward to 2025, the off season, not the season. Justin Fields will have completed four years. The Bears already picked up his fifth year option. So going into that fifth year, will the Chicago Bears be handing out a nine-figure contract to Justin Fields, yes or no? I think so, yes. I, I really do. My, my, my confidence in Justin Fields has wavered at points, but I think that he, I, I think he's going to be the guy. I really do. And, 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 I, and I do believe to a certain extent that, that, that you know, the cream rises to the top and that quarterbacks can overcome things even when they don't have everything around them. Uh, I do think that the big key is going to be the offensive line. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do think that he is going to be able to rise to the occasion. I don't think it's going to be anything tremendous. I don't think we're going to see 4,500 yards this year. I don't think we're going to see anything too crazy. And he's probably not even going to be the best quarterback 
from this class this year. But I do think that we're going to see enough from him to say, hey, this is the guy moving forward. They get him more weapons next year, cooking with gas. I think we're going to be, I think we're going to be feeling very different about this next year. But yeah, I do think he is going to be the guy. And if he's not, I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be really hard to watch this team for a while and, and have any sort of semblance of hope, I'll be honest. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. It, 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 I have the same kind of feeling that I just, he, he just oozes confidence and, and you see the swagger on the field and you see just the highlight reel plays. And look, and I know Trubisky, you know, had, had some highlight reel moments and everything. There's just something different with fields. It's not a knock on Mitch at all. He won the starting job in Pittsburgh. Kudos to Mitch. But just there's just something about fields that I just I, it's just hard to imagine that guy failing. I just that's what it comes down to for me. I just I just can't see it. But like you said, a key to him, just not this year, but moving forward. But let's focus on this year, obviously, the offensive line. You know, the offensive line last year was bad. And let's like let's break it down. Let's look at it carefully here. The two best offensive linemen last year on our bad offensive line was James Daniels and Jason and Jason Peters. They're both gone. They've you know they've totally overhauled this offense. Uh, you know, offensive line basically it's Cody Whitehair and maybe Sam Mustafer, depending on Lucas Patrick's health. I mean, it's 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 a brand new line here. I know Tevin Jenkins and Larry Borum are holdovers, but now it looks like they're going to be more staples. You know, I said a couple of weeks ago after watching some offensive line play that I was guessing that the best five were going to be Jones, Whitehair, Patrick, Jenkins at right guard. And I had Reef out there. Now, we haven't really seen anything from Riley Reef at this point. We don't know if he's still the capable tackle that he's been for basically a decade in this league. Um, but that was basically my starting five. You know, you know, Borum seems to be that's that's going to be his job to lose here moving forward. But this offensive line could have some possibilities of looking pretty good. But at the same time, there are things to be worried about, especially with pass protection and especially knowing they have to keep Justin Fields upright and healthy. So where are you with the offensive line? I'm right about the same boat you are right now. I, I, I think that there is more upside than last year just based on the fact that they don't have a 40-year-old Jason Peters starting at left tackle. I mean, obviously, there's there's limited to no upside there. But there's also more risk involved this year, right? Obviously, the, the coaching has changed. The offensive scheme is going to be different. The blocking schemes are going to be different. But, I mean, we're talking about three guys that between the three of them, between Jenkins, Borum, and, uh, and, and Braxton Jones, have less than a full season combined between them of starts in the NFL. That is a lot of risk. I don't, I don't really care how you cut it. I mean, that just is what it is. And Cody Whitehair hasn't been the same guy. So that doesn't mean it has to be negative. But I think what it means is that some people that are just automatically projecting this offensive line because there are different names and because you see more upside than other people see that it's automatically a guaranteed improvement. And anybody else who thinks anything differently, you're an idiot and you don't know what you're talking about. Because there are plenty of people out there, very educated people, on the offensive line that that believe that there are ways that the Bears can get better, but there's also a huge risk involved with that, which is why most people have them projected as a bottom five unit. And again, that doesn't have to be fully negative, but I think that people have to understand that there is a lot of unproven talent on this offensive line, and it's going to take some time to get things figured out. Is there some upside? There's absolutely some upside. I think a best case scenario for the Bears would be getting one of the two tackle positions figured out, and getting right guard figured out, whether that's Tevin Jenkins at right guard, maybe um, 
who knows, maybe Alex Leatherwood slots in there and does well, whatever it is. And then, like I said, one of the two tackle spots, uh, if you can get two of those spots figured out, plus Lucas Patrick at center next year, and then you can figure out what you want to do with Cody White here, that's three of your five, if not more, starting spots locked up for next year, and you know you're in good shape. Again, that is an optimistic view. That is also something I don't know if I'd say realistic, but it's absolutely a possibility. And I think that that's what we should be aiming for. But I think it's also worth keeping in mind that having a pair of starting offensive tackles that are fifth round picks, historically speaking, that is not going to work out very well. For I'm sorry, but that is just that is just how things go. So it's just one of those things where I think you can balance and say, OK, hey, I'm feeling optimistic about this group. I think they've got some upside. These guys are still young. Some of these guys are high, you know, high round draft picks. There's some upside there. And also say there is a lot of risk being carried here. Uh, I think the only good thing that you can really say right now uh, positively is that, again, you got Riley Reef as your swing tackle. Uh, Alex Leatherwood is going to be somebody back there. He's a, you know, a first round pick from last year. I had him more of a second or third round talent. Doesn't matter. He's still a high round talent that is a year removed from being drafted. That's still somebody you want to take some upside on. And I think even their interior, I, th- I think Sam Mustafer has looked more like 2020 Sam Mustafer than 2021. Does that mean that he's going to be great? No, but it means that he could probably be a serviceable starter if he gets thrown in there, which I think is more than you can say for last year in terms of their depth. So I think if you're looking for a positive, they've got some depth there that you can probably rely on. I think the big question right now is, did Ryan Poles decide to throw these young guys out to the wolves a little too early? And I think that that's what we're going to find out over the next, I'd say the first few weeks of the season, because they got some tough tasks in the first few weeks of the season. But again, with all that in mind, this is going to be a incremental developmental process throughout the year. And things aren't just going to look perfect right out of the gate. Yeah. And if I kind of broke it down in terms of pass, pass block and, and, and pass block, pass blocking and run blocking, I have a lot more confidence in this unit on the ground game than I do in pass protection. Part of me would much rather, although I know how important the running game is, part of me would rather have that, you know, backwards because you'd rather have Justin Field feel safer for Justin Fields. But I think Jones has shown a lot more in the run game than he has in, in pass protection. And, you know, Jenkins, as we know, can be a mauler and can, can move people around. We saw a couple highlight blocks already from him at right guard in the preseason. So I think... Yeah, I've got a lot of concerns about about the pass pro and and how much time Justin Fields is going to have back there and how safe he's going to be back there. But I do feel between between scheme and and this the ability these guys have running the football in terms of run blocking, I think we're going to see some success on the ground. Um, You know, I I know talking in terms of scheme and how Getzi's going to want to run the ball. You know, there's I've seen some talk on Twitter and a little bit in the national media about David Montgomery's fit in terms of this scheme and that maybe Herbert is going to fit better running the ball in in, in this Shanahan offense. So kind of where are you in terms of the running game and and the running back stable that the Bears have? Are you feeling pretty good that they're going to at least have a, a decent run game this year? I think the Bears have a quality running back room, and I think that I think my biggest issue with David Montgomery is not even David Montgomery. It's the fact that he's going to be a free agent after this year. And I don't want to see the bears pay him, you know, pay any running back decent money. I just don't think it, I don't think it's a worthy investment. I don't think it's a smart investment in, in this, this type of NFL. I just don't. With that being said, I think that between seeing Khalil Herbert and uh, Tristan Ebner, um, you know, a decent amount this preseason, I think the one thing that we can draw 
is the fact that, let's be honest, man, David Montgomery is their most complete back. He may not be their fastest back. He may not be their most dynamic back, but he can pass block. He can catch the ball and he can consistently run the ball for you. Um, I think Khalil Herbert probably has more upside as a runner. I think Ebner has more upside as a pass catcher. But I think the issue with Ebner, with most rookies, especially late-round rookies, is pass protection. I think with Khalil Herbert, it's pass protection and catching the ball. I mean, that's kind of the thing. If, if, if you're expecting a running back to come in and do big things, you know, and, and, and kind of take the lion's share of these, of, uh, you know, of, of these rushes, you have to be able to do at least two of the three things right. And I think right now with Cleo Herbert, he's got to at least figure out how to pass protect. If he's going to be inconsistent passing the ball or catching the ball, you at least got to learn how to pass protect. I think with Ebner, it's pretty normal for a rookie. I think overall, I, I think you're going to see probably a one-two punch, um, kind of like we've seen in Green Bay the last two years. But I do think that David Montgomery is going to be the lead back until Cleo Herbert can prove to be more of a well-rounded running back that is – that is trusted in pass protection and is trusted to catch dump offs, just simple dump offs. Now let's, let's uh, quickly do receivers and tight ends here before we, we do a little defense here before I let you go. Um, you know, look, in terms of weapons, we know Darnell Mooney and, and, and Fields have, have great chemistry and, and Mooney's going to see a lot of targets this year. Who's that going to be that second guy on the team in targets? It's probably going to be Cole Komet, uh, you know, uh, you know, I just based on who else is, is going to be there uh, in terms of consistency on the offense. I just I really don't know. Um, you know, I, I just I can't see someone from this group that I'm in love with. That's just going to emerge as kind of that that other reliable target for for fields and Komet. I think Komet's going to be OK, but I don't think you can instantly just call Cole Komet a, a reliable target. He has flaws in his game as well. You know, some people are, are have a lot of hope for this this group. A lot of people are sitting here going doom and gloom. No one's going to be open for Justin Fields, and he's going to be running around, you know, you know, trying to save his own butt. So, kind of, where are you with this, with the wide receivers and tight ends? And if there was someone beyond Mooney and Komet that you think could be a consistent target for Fields, who would it be? Yeah, well, I think I, I think the outlook for this receiving and tight end group is a lot like it is for the offensive line. You're going to have to rely a lot on the coaching, and you're going to have to hope that they can scheme these guys open a lot better than they could last year, which really shouldn't be too damn hard considering <laughs> considering the route tree that we saw from guys like Allen Robinson and stuff like that. Now, yeah, I agree with you. I think Cole Komet is clearly the number two option in this offense right out of the gate as far as a pass catcher goes. And there's just a lot of different questions. You know, I, I know a lot of people want to be high on Davis Jones Jr. I'll be honest, I'm not. I, I just, I, I, I can't buy into anything except the fact that he has speed. I think he's got questionable hands. I think he's got questionable route running. I think he is a more developmental guy. Does that not, does that mean that he's not going to be a good player in, in time? No, but I think that it's going to take a little bit of time. I think missing a decent chunk of training camp in the preseason definitely does not help a guy like that. That is so raw. Um, EQ St. Brown, I mean, the guy was basically up and down on the Packers roster last year. Um, you know, obviously scheme familiarity is there. Uh, Byron Pringle is somebody that I feel like is, is being, uh, counted on way more than he's probably going to produce. He's a slot guy. Uh, I think he can be a reliable, you know, pass catcher, but he's also 28 years old. And there's a reason he didn't get more than a four, you know, or a $4 million deal. So I, I think the one guy that maybe... I have the most optimism for outside of those names is probably Dante Pettis. And again, that's, that's even, that's being cautious with that because 
I feel like Dante Pettis, at least with him, he's a good route runner. Um, and obviously he's had a few chances. He was a second round pick with the 49ers. He was taking the same exact year uh, that, that Anthony Miller was, if I, if I recall right. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm one year off with that, but I'm pretty sure he was taking the same exact year out of Washington. So again, he's somebody that if, if he can be a good route runner, um, he's also, you know, he's clearly impressed Justin Fields because Justin Fields has singled him out a few times. But I think it's going to take some time, man. I, I think you're basically looking at Darnell Mooney, I think is going to have a really big year. I think Cole Komet's going to have a pretty good year, 7,800 yards. Uh, he's got to get in the end zone. I think that's a big thing with him. But then outside of that, man, it's going to be a coin flip. It could be it, – honestly, this receiving core outside of those two could look a lot like it does with Aaron Rodgers where you have uh, Devontae Adams um, and, you know, like Robert Tunyon who have, you know, a good chunk of stuff. And then after that, it's like a, a bunch of like – two, three, 400 yard receiver type guys. And that could be what they're looking at. Now jumping over to the defensive side of the ball. I don't want to sit there and go position by position, but let, let's just take a look at this unit overall. Obviously, you know, two second round picks get infused into the secondary Eddie Jackson. Can he rebound? A lot of questions there. Jalen Johnson still questions on when they have, when they're in the nickel, which is going to be frequently, who's going to be that third guy out there. Uh, reliable. I thought it was interesting that the Bears, I, I believe on their new their new um, uh, depth chart, that they're just, they have a base depth chart, so they just still haven't committed on paper to who the third cornerback is going to be. Uh, it might be Kendall Vildor, and, and maybe um, Gordon goes inside. <laughs> There's a lot of questions as to what's going to happen there, but you know, some questions along the defensive front as well. Muhammad gets this listed as a starter, Gibson back into a rotational position. And of course, the Roquan Smith drama that we dealt with all, all offseason that appears to be in the rearview mirror, at least for now. How do you think this defense can function as a unit in the new in the new scheme that Flus is putting into place? I think that the defense, at least as of this year, definitely has a higher ceiling. I, I think the biggest question is going to be that front four, man. I, I just, you know, the amount of talent that they lost between Khalil Mack, uh, between Bilal Nichols, Akeem Hicks, um, you know, Eddie Goldman, like those were all really damn good players for the Bears at one point. I know people want to talk about, well, they haven't been healthy, and that is true, and I'm not discounting that, but that's still a big presence on that defense that you're losing. Now, I think that you trade some of that presence on the defensive line for some of that presence in the secondary, Jaquan Brisker, uh, you know, Kyler Gordon, I think uh, Jalen Johnson's a guy that could take a huge step forward. Eddie Jackson, in my opinion, is going into a make or break year. I think this is his last chance. If he doesn't show up, he's going to be gone because they can cut him and they can actually save some money by doing it. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to pay him the kind of money that he's going to be making next year if he's not playing well. So I think, you know, and I think linebacker is pretty average, but I think really what you're looking at right now is you're looking at a defense in transition that at least has some upside, right? I mean, obviously, you know, the, the buzz guys have been kind of like, you know, Jack Sanborn, who I think can carve out a role as a special teams guy, as a reserve, maybe somebody that comes in every once in a while and plays, develops into more, that'd be great. But I think, you know, when you're looking at the secondary, I think that that's where the real bright spot comes in. But it's also one of those, I feel like it could have been brighter had Tavon Young or Thomas Graham Jr. actually stayed healthy this damn, you know, the, 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 during training camp in the preseason, if they could have stayed healthy, I think that you're probably looking at both of those, those guys being on the roster. My biggest concern in the secondary right now is who is going to be that third corner? Because I'll tell you what, man, I don't really want to live the Kendall Vildor experience again. I mean, luckily Duke Shelley's not on the roster anymore, but I mean, let's be honest. Kendall Vildor was one of the worst starting outside corners in the league last year. 
I don't know that a scheme change is going to do much for him. Uh, Lamar Jackson, I wasn't overly impressed with him during the preseason. I know, I know that he was kind of like the best of uh, a mediocre group, but I think you could have made an argument for multiple guys, uh, you know, at corner that could have made it over him or, you know, had about the same. So there's more upside. I think that this is going to be a league average unit or somewhere there around. I think obviously the big key is going to be turnovers, but I think there's just a lot of questions how are they going to rush the passer for one? And how the hell are they going to stop the run? They weren't going to stop the run last year. They don't have a true nose tackle on this roster right now. Um, and I, th- I think that that's a little bit of a concern, especially when you're talking about the production of those linebackers and the functional linebackers in this defense. If they're not getting the you know the proper uh, protection up front from their defensive linemen, uh, I think those linebackers are going to are going to struggle a little bit. Yeah, I, I have a lot of questions about this defense but my questions are are more you know I don't have answers for them I'm really curious as to what this defense can be I think if they end up being league average I think that's that's excellent I think that means they're going to keep them in plenty of games and at least get this have this season be interesting um as for the season overall when when we look at this season look you look at the schedule and on paper there's a lot of winnable games but at the same time, as you said, this is this is a rebuild for the for the Bears. This is not their most talented roster they've ever had, and they're absolutely going to struggle at times. So I know overall we're we're looking for for certain positives in terms of Justin Fields' growth and and, and scheme for Getzey and, and you know things that we can build on key players on the defense really stepping up the development of Brisker and Gordon guys like that. So we have all sorts of individual things that that we as as fans can look at here at this season in particular, but overall, how do you think this season is going to go for Chicago? I mean, you've seen a lot of people, wild predictions as much as, you know, winning 10 games and as low as, you know, winning three. So where are you falling with the 2022 Chicago Bears? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, some of these interest, these record predictions have been very interesting to, to watch. Uh, I'm riding that six, six or seven win. I knew I let me put it this way. I'm more in the five to seven win range, right? I, I I think that this is going to be a much more fun year to watch. I don't think they're going to be very good. I have them at six and 11 personally, I think give or take a game or two. I, I think that, that you can make that argument. And I think anything much past seven or eight wins is, is a massive stretch. Personally, I just don't see it, but I also don't think that they're going to win two or three games. I, you know, I think the only way that they're going to win two or three games is if Justin Fields is terrible or he gets hurt. And obviously in that situation, the bears are probably going to want that high pick. Let's just be honest. I mean, if, if, if that situation arises that I, I think the bears are absolutely going to want those high picks. But with that being said, I, I think that this is going to be a year of growing pains. And I think, you know, from a talent standpoint, they're, they're not very good. Um, they have some upside. I think the biggest thing for me, why it's kind of hard to project this team is where are they going to be in terms of learning how to win? Right. Because this is, Again, 65% of this roster has been turned over since last year. This is a brand new coaching staff. There's a lot of inexperience. There's a lot of unproven talent on this roster. How can they find ways to win games? I think they're going to be in a lot of close games this season. I think more than much more than last year or the year before, there's going to be a lot less blowouts and a lot more close games. There's going to be a lot more of the games that they win. There's going to be a lot more close wins. There's going to be a lot more close losses. And I think that those close losses are going to be because they can't figure out right out of the gate, how to win games. And I think that that is going to be the difference between, let's just say, five or six wins and seven or eight wins. Because I, I think that in a rebuilding season with a lot of newness, that's just the kind of stuff that you see. But I think this is going to be a much more exciting team to watch. 
All right, before I let you go, Sunday, Bears, Niners, 1 p.m. Eastern, who you got? I've got the 49ers, man. Uh, I, I just made this prediction 24-20. Uh, to 20. I think it's going to be a decently close game. I think the Bears are going to have a chance to win it. But I, ultimately, man, I think I think the 49ers – I think people are really overlooking the 49ers. Outside of Trey Lance and the questions, you know, with him going into his first year as a starter, uh, I, the 49ers are still a really good football team. And I just – I think it's going to take the Bears a little bit to get their, uh, get their footing and figure out how to win games. All right, there he is. He's – at Aaron Lemming NFL. You can read them all over the place, including right here at Windy City Gridiron. Aaron, thanks so much for so much time. Really appreciate it. And bear down. Let's see what we got this year. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right. There he is. Aaron Lemming, everybody. A lot of good thoughts from Aaron. A lot of, again, that's why I like having Aaron on this week because he's objective. He's going to sit here. He's going to tell you positives. He's going to tell you negatives. He's not going to try and put some big spin on it. He's going to be honest. And I think that's really, really what he got you there. He thinks this is a, you know, an average defense. Average defense would be great, but he's got questions along the offense, even if there's positive. Justin Fields is a positive. Luke Getze is a positive. There's a good running back room, positive. Darnell Mooney, positive. There's plenty of positives around there, but the, the you know, is the whole greater than the sum of its parts i don't think so i think the whole is less actually and and that offense has got to answer a lot of questions and they're gonna to have to do it against the 49ers team that is a good good squad i think a lot of people i know aaron said it are kind of overlooking the 49ers here i would not do that i think the 49ers are a solid squad i have questions about trey lance i don't know what kind of quarterback trey lance is, is going to be Trey Lance is so raw, and I don't think people realize how raw of a prospect Trey Lance is. I don't think they do, because Trey Lance is not just a guy that had limited high school numbers, or I'm sorry, limited college numbers. Trey Lance is also a guy that had limited high school numbers. Trey Lance threw the ball 113 times, 113 times in high school. And then he goes ahead in college, and he basically just has one season, you know, one season plus, where in college he threw the ball, you know, you know, something like 300 times, I think. Uh, oh, 318. There it is in my numbers. 318. So this is a guy who's thrown 450-some passes in, in college, obviously limited chances last year with, with, with Jimmy G in place and everything. I mean, this is a guy that is just, he's barely thrown the football at the high school pro and college level 500 times. I mean, that is crazy raw with the with the amount that they're going to have to rely on him this year. Now, I understand they kept Jimmy G, and that, that's a smart move right there. But anyone who tells you what they know Trey Lance is, is lying to you. Because, I mean, he had he's got less high school, college, and NFL passes than I think Kenny Pickett did last season. So there's a lot of questions there. I think that's why they kept Jimmy G there because this is not a, a team that's looking to develop a rookie quarterback, well, a second-year quarterback this year. This is a team looking to win with a second-year quarterback. And if the second-year quarterback's not going to do it, then they are absolutely going to go to Jimmy Garoppolo. But we know how well Shanahan can efficiently run the football. I don't know how the Bears are going to stop the run with who they have up front. We know Debo Samuel is a weapon. George Kittle, we'll see what he is going to be this year. And then the 49ers, and they've got some talent on the defensive side of the ball. I think the 49ers are a far more talented team from top to bottom 
than the Chicago Bears. I think Justin Fields might be a better quarterback than Trey Lance is right now, but I don't see much else from the, the other positions in terms of, you know, the Bears have some advantages some places, sure, but I don't see overall a lot of advantages for the Bears when you look at this roster and, and all compared to the Niners. So I think this one, you know, I'm with Aaron. I think this one is going to be a 49ers victory. I think it's going to be not quite as close as Aaron has it. I'm going to call it 27 to 17, 49ers with the win. Again, I hope I'm wrong. I hope next week we are joining you talking about a Chicago Bears victory, but I just think new regime, you know, a lot a lot of new faces. It's just not going to come out clicking right away for the Chicago Bears against an experienced team like San Francisco. So I'm going to call it 27-17 San Francisco. We'll see if I'm right. We will talk to you next week. Bear it out, everybody. 